Hello, everyone. It is my pleasure to welcome you to the Teacher's Tribe podcast. I am your host, Maxine McFarlane, a parent, educator, and a nurturer of young minds and hearts. The word shift conjures up a few different ideas in my mind. I think of the shift schools in Jamaica that operate on two different half-day schedules to accommodate more students. I now work in a school system that has year-round schools that are designed for a similar purpose. This idea of shift can also describe a recurring period of time in which different groups of workers complete the same job in a relay-type manner. Nurses come to my mind when I think of this type of shift. The word also makes me think of my insistence to learn to drive a vehicle with a stick shift or manual transmission when I signed up to go to driving school many, many years ago. Then there's the shift key that will produce a capital letter or some other character when typing. (laughs) I chuckle at the fact that in the world of virtual teaching, even that little detail has to be deliberately taught. So many of my students have typed their names, for example, all lowercase because they don't know about the shift key. Among the dictionary definitions for the word shift is this one that I'm going to share from the Oxford English Dictionary. It defines shift as a slight change in position, direction, or tendency. That's the shift I will be focusing on in this episode. I remember that among the murals that were painted on one of the buildings of my primary school in Jamaica is the Ministry of Education slogan, which says, Every child can learn. Every child must learn. This back-to-school time continues to be a period of reflection and planning for me. For some reason, this slogan surfaced in my mind, and I welcome the thoughts and ideas that accompanied it. My school district has started the year remotely, and teaching in this way comes with its challenges. This is the year that all of us, educators, parents, caregivers, and even the students themselves must shift. There's a shift in the learning environment, so we're not in the school buildings, we're learning from learning and teaching from homes. And the manner in which instruction is provided has also shifted. There's a shift in the types of educational resources that are predominantly being used in remote learning. There are fewer books, now we're using more computer files. There's a shift in the way in which collaboration takes place between members of professional learning teams or communities, students and their teachers, parents and teachers, and among students. The four C's of education, communication, collaboration, creativity, and critical thinking are now magnified and constantly at play within these dynamic interactions. I typically ask parents to give me the first few weeks of school to get to know their children academically and socially before expecting a conference with me. So usually we don't meet until 
towards the end of the first quarter when we're approaching or just about at the first marking period. Naturally, there were a few exceptions in cases of intense behavioral challenges or high need for academic accommodations. This year, however, my position shifted significantly and I feel the need to encourage dialogue with each family within the first couple weeks of school. The uncertainty and uncharted waters that we are currently wading through create the need for more social emotional support for all of us. Establishing a sense of teamwork between parents and teachers and being united in purpose is especially critical this year. Now, I can pretty much guess that you would agree that the shifts previously mentioned make sense in light of current conditions, correct? Let's dig a little deeper. What would you say to the idea that there must be an even greater shift that parents, teachers, and caregivers must make this year? It is one that could be made at any time, but I would suggest that the sooner the better. For teachers, during your period of study before entering the classroom would be ideal. Parents, when your children are infants or even in utero, would be a prime time for this shift. This shift has to take place on the inside. One of my favorite teacher slogans is, teaching is a work of heart. Several years ago, my aunt gave me one of my most cherished teacher items. It is a red heart-shaped wooden jigsaw puzzle that says, good teachers teach with their hearts, not with books alone. So these two expressions, teaching is a work of heart, and good teachers teach with their hearts, not with books alone, along with the slogan from the Ministry of Education in Jamaica that I ref referenced at the beginning, they all speak directly to the shift that I want to call your attention to today. Do we really believe that every child is capable of learning? Or do we write some off as hopeless? Wow, that's a strong statement, I know. However, it is worth contemplating. I will be the first to admit that I have had students that challenge this idea. But the big shift that gave me hope and confidence in this reality is my mindset. We are often guided by proficiency standards and benchmarks, and those things play an important role in assessment and planning. Now, consider making a marginal yet powerful shift to expand your focus to consider the importance of growth. We often lose sight of growth amidst the intense pressure to demonstrate mastery of skills and concepts deemed to be the standard for students at a particular age or grade level. Let me be clear though, I am not against having parameters within which to establish guidelines for academic performance. Rather, I am making an appeal for us to celebrate growth and acknowledge the valuable role it plays in the process of educating young minds. Maybe this example will help to bring my point across in another way. I remember when, as a first-time mother, I would encourage my babbling baby boy, 
why did I get excited that this alliteration just came to me so naturally? Teachers, you'll understand. But my babbling baby boy, I would encourage him to say, Mommy? Oh, how I begged for that word. In such moments, he would often excitedly respond with, Dada? Although I fully understood why his infant tongue found it easier to produce that sound, I must admit that I wished he would just echo what I was trying to get him to say. Did I become discouraged by the fact that he wasn't saying what I wanted him to say? No, absolutely not. I kept on trying because I believed that he was capable. I also acknowledged and celebrated the fact that he was making progress in his language development. My baby was no longer just cooing and crying, but he was also babbling. I accepted every sign of development and was excited about them. A six-year-old is quoted as saying, my teacher thought I was smarter than I was, so I was. I've also seen a similar one that says, my teacher thought I could, so I did. If only we could have that mindset and hold that place of confidence for our children. This incredible paradigm shift is revolutionary and has the power to impact their lives in profound ways. Sometimes, unfortunately, adults are unwilling to do the introspective work. So we resort to blaming the children for their perceived shortcomings. They may be labeled as slow learners and therefore deemed unteachable. I know you would agree that it would be ridiculous for me to write off my baby as unable to develop the ability to speak because he was persistently saying dada despite my repeated repetitions of mommy. Why is it then that we can't extend the same kind of grace to all children? As I said in episode 12, entitled, Please Say My Name, when I talked about how our struggle with pronouncing unfamiliar names is really our challenge and not one for the bearers of the names. So we would benefit from also contemplating if the greater challenge is our mindset. What is the shift that you need to make this year? Is it a change in mindset about your role as a parent or educator? Are you considering yourself as the fount of knowledge or the facilitator of learning? Personally, I prefer the latter. While contemplating this over the summer break, I decided to identify my role and I attached a slogan to myself. I am a nurturer of hearts and minds. That recognition now forms the foundation of what I do in my varying roles this school year. I am developing the habit of making it a deliberate act to consider if I'm living up to that title whenever I plan, deliver instruction, or interact with the young ones. Nurturing their minds may require my silence at times allowing them to collaborate and think critically to derive their own solutions. It may also mean that I need to be a better listener and create a safe space for ideas to be expressed and explored. 
encouraging resilience, teaching social emotional skills, speaking affirming words, and not stifling their creativity are also potential shifts for achieving this goal. As I said earlier, teaching is a work of heart, and I believe you shouldn't do it if you don't love it. I must be willing to love like a child does if I'm going to even have the opportunity to nurture their hearts. I see the heart as a gateway to the mind, so I must endeavor to make those meaningful connections. Nurturing their hearts may require a listening ear for their seemingly unimportant stories, facilitating freedom of expression and freely demonstrating a high level of respect towards them. Sometimes as adults, we expect or even demand respect, but are we also willing to reciprocate? It may also mean that we have to be vulnerable ourselves by admitting when we are wrong and even going a step further to highlight our mistakes. My practice over the years has been to make a big deal when my students identify one of my mistakes. For example, if I am writing on the board and I write a word twice, or I misread something, I will just laugh at my silly mistake and celebrate the students for being observant and helpful and I add new adjectives to their vocabulary. But I celebrate them and let them know that I appreciate that they could help me to fix my error. We would be dishonest if we seek to perpetuate the image of perfection. We are often the standards by which young ones judge themselves. And if we are perfect or give the impression that we are when we know we really are not, they will feel like they will never measure up. For the sake of clarity, I am certainly not negating holding them to high expectations and modeling good qualities. I am simply encouraging all of us to make ourselves trustworthy by being honest about our experiences. I have been spending time during these first weeks of school taking notes, I mean literal notes, writing them down in a notebook. And I've been taking notes, these notes about students' interests and seizing every opportunity to make connections. I now know who has siblings, who has pets, like video games, sports. I know their favorite things and who their best friends are. I say their names often and welcome them individually when they sign in each morning. I give them the opportunity to type a word in the chat box to state how they're feeling. And then I follow up with those who are experiencing emotions that may impact their ability to focus or engage in learning activities. I relentlessly pursue the students who would otherwise fade into the background with their introverted personalities while still being mindful of not making them feel uncomfortable. There are some students who will consistently raise their hand to speak and if we are not mindful, they will be engaged all the time and the introverts will just sit quietly there and we won't really know if they're understanding what is being taught because they're not expressing it. It is a lot of work to keep up with all of that but I know it will be worth it. For some reason, my 
fear of heights has increased since my late teens. I no longer subject myself to rides at amusement parks that go high up in the air. I prefer to stay safely on the ground and watch the boys and their father scream and enjoy it up there. I avoid glass elevators in malls and when I have no choice but to go into them, I will back slowly in and keep my eyes on the door. And I simply do not make any effort to look down from any elevated position above two stories. About six years ago, I had the privilege of visiting India with some colleagues to provide training at a school there. During our stay, we were able to visit various sites, including the Taj Mahal. One afternoon, we went walking through a village in the hills of Shimla, and I was enjoying the scenery, except for some of the steep slopes nearby. Shimla is located in the Himalayan foothills and is the capital of the northern Indian state of Himachal Pradesh. That should give you an idea of what the terrain is like. As we walked along a narrow path, I became quite apprehensive about getting close to the edge and so I politely declined my co-worker's invitation to look at some homes in the valley below. I explained my fear and he helped me to momentarily use a shift in my mindset to help me do what I previously thought was impossible. Here's what he did. He guided me to shift my gaze in increments by first looking down at the ground below my feet, right where I was standing, then looking at the edge a few feet away, then down to the closest indentation in the mountain, and proceeding down its side a little bit at a time. By shifting my gaze in that manner, I was finally able to look at the buildings in the valley without the dread and panic that I previously felt. I wish I could say that that experience eradicated my fear of heights, but it made me realize that it is possible to change one's mindset. We might not be able to do it in one sudden move, but we can change if we take it one step at a time. I encourage you to identify the shift that you need to make this year. Do you need to shift into a higher gear by being more deliberate about maintaining a positive tone? Do you need to redouble your efforts to increase parental engagement? Do you need to shift your mindset and start believing that all of your children can learn and that they have potential for growth? Will you have to change your flying solo mentality and now engage with your colleagues this year to work in shifts for the success of all of your students? That is a lot to consider. And regardless of the type of shift that is needed, we will discover another aspect of ourselves when we fully engage in this introspective work. The children in our lives will benefit and we will do our work of heart in this time when it is most needed. I would love to hear your thoughts about the shifts that you are contemplating. So head over to my blog at theteacherstribe.com or leave a comment on Instagram or Facebook where links to this episode are posted. 
I found the perfect quote to sum up my thoughts this week. I know you know it was coming if you've been listening to me for a while. There's always a quote. This one is from This one is from Newora and it says, "With the right mindset, we can't lose. We either practice what we've learned or we learn what we need to practice." My hope is that each of us will do just that. Cultivate a wholesome mindset and practice what we've learned or learn what we need to practice. Until next time, walk good and one love.